Good morning. Say a little prayer for me that I don't talk too fast because I am fully caffeinated. All right. Here we go. We've been talking about prepare him room. So this morning we're going to talk about Mary. I'm going to talk about Mary really quick about preparing him room. Um, when we think about Mary, I know most of us know that she wasn't adolescent. She, we, we know she was in her early teens, and that's kind of a stretch for our imagination. But um, I'm going to talk about Mary this morning. Um, I'm going to use the scripture in Matthew 1. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, honeymoon, she was found with the child of the Holy Spirit. Every time we say prepare him room, I think of a mother expecting a child. She's preparing a room. And I was thinking about what it was like to be a first-time mother. How many have heard of the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting? And we read, and then now they have those apps, and they tell you exactly what your baby looks like at so many weeks. And then we get on Pinterest, and we start pinning what we want the nursery to look like. And we pick a theme, and we pick colors, and we pick comforters, and all of this thing is going to... And then, oh, the little kids, what kind of shampoo do we use? And, oh, they have to have certain toys. And there's all of this preparation. And then we're finding out what our bodies can and can't do, and... And it's, there's all of these things going on, right, when you prepare for a baby. Do you remember what that was like? There's a lot of good stuff going into that when you're bringing a new baby into the home. But Mary was found pregnant. That scripture says she was found pregnant. Now, we know in Luke's gospel that the angel came and he told her what was going to happen. There was a little bit of disbelief, then a little bit of acceptance, then a little bit of, okay, you do whatever you say you're going to do. Then she goes and she visits her cousin, who is also experiencing something supernatural. Elizabeth is also going to have a child. And Elizabeth says these amazing things to her. And she's like, oh, my gosh, the baby and me jumped when you came and all of this excitement. And then Mary begins to prophesy. And the Bible says she stayed with her cousin for three months. Do you know what I think she was doing? I think she was preparing room. Because she was found pregnant. She wasn't having a conversation with Joseph. And another version says, Joseph discovered she was pregnant. Surprise! Right? She wasn't on Pinterest. She wasn't making plans. I love what Pastor Tony said last week. Women have expectations. We have an idea of how things are going to go down, and it wasn't going down like that. And I think a lot of it was internal. And do you know why she was making preparations? Because God wasn't looking for an incubator. Do you know why she was making preparations? She wasn't a surrogate. She wasn't going to just pop out the plan of God and have no connection and no relationship. She had to make room in her life for him. Do you remember what it's like? You make a nursery. How often was your baby in the nursery? Suddenly you have baby toys in the living room. The baby's watching TV with you. There's a high chair in the kitchen. He's eating food with you. Suddenly the baby's in your bed. He's sleeping with you. The baby is everywhere with you. He doesn't just stay in a room. You make room. You can't run to Target you got to buckle that thing in the car seat. you got to put the car seat in the car. Then you got to put the car seat in the cart. Then you got to wheel it all around. Everything changes. Mary was making room for relationship in a culture where she could have at the very least been humiliated. 
maybe divorced. At worst, she could have been stoned to death. In a culture today, we tell our young ladies, you have dreams, end it. We live in a culture that says, your plans are important, end it. You're not mature enough. She was 13. Can you imagine Jesus trying to be born in our society today? She had every reason to terminate. Do you follow me? She was making room. A relationship with Jesus Christ can and should affect every area of your life. And you have to make room. She made room for a promise so that his plan could have life. Doesn't it feel heavy? You're so used to me being funny. I'm sorry. (laughs) This is good stuff. Make room for the promises of God. Some of you are thinking right now, oh, I could make room if I had a promise like that. We all have a promise. The word says he has preordained good works for us to do. The problem is that sometimes we don't make room for his plans. We don't make room for his promises. He wants to do something else. You know what's so powerful is that Mary's identity was completely changed. She went from an adolescent, betrothed young woman to the mother of the king of kings. Identity shift, people, because she made room. And you know what's even more powerful It's because she made room for those plans. You and I were delivered a savior. Something even bigger came out of her. What she let God do through her. Be like Mary this morning. Make room in your life for relationship with Jesus Christ. How did that happen? I imagine that may have been what crossed through Joseph's mind. His family had already met with Mary's family. This had been decided prior. They had gotten together. They had made plans. It wasn't a Vegas trip marriage. They would happen and take place to start their life together. But it was something where the families agreed. They quite possibly had already predetermined they would be together. And now when they would get together, they would have a place. Joseph would be working hard learning his vocation. He would be doing everything he could to make himself as a man prepared to face the world with, to his good fortune, not only someone he was stuck with through an arranged marriage as our Americanized thinking is prone to think, but in fact, he actually loved her. And we know this, and we can draw these reasonable conclusions from how Joseph treated Mary through this situation. I don't want to present any kind of false uh, presumption about Joseph this morning, um, for there's written about him in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 21. It talks about how Joseph had just received news of Mary's pregnancy, and the how can that happen, I'm sure, 
have popped into his mind. And I think there was probably some other questions that kind of just traveled through his mind internally as he internalized what was going on. And that was, are you who I thought you were? Because we came together, we planned together. I don't believe this was she told him and he believed her. Matter of fact, the scripture actually lends the opposite, that while he had great affection for her, like any man that had dreams of his wedding night, in any man that had dreams of working hard and preparing for this, his dream would be changed. His reality would be changed. The beautiful thing of taking in his new bride and all the preparations coming to reality, his preparations for his life now were grossly and wildly interrupted. And she says, by God, we'll see about that. For the scripture says that he went back and he kept it to himself, and he was, albeit upset as any man would be who is rational and reasonable in his mind and his thinking, he was still a righteous man. And I love this word, these two tandem words of righteous in man, because what we see in Joseph is not just that he was a man by modern interpretation, but that he was a righteous man. He wasn't part-time man, full-time lover like some men are today. But he was a man who worked hard for what he was preparing for. But as he was thinking on these things, the scripture says he was thinking about what he was told. That it says he had made a quiet decision. He decided to quietly put her away. For in these days, the betrothal was the same. It was a signature. You would be married. It's a foregone conclusion that it was going to happen. So it, to break off an engagement wasn't, oh, we broke up. No, it was like divorce in society. There was so much planning the families and the community had put into you making it happen that when you made that decision, it affected everyone. It wasn't just your decision. So when this occurred, Joseph is thinking this through, and I'm sure he had relatives saying, you get rid of that hussy. She is, she's lying. God made her pregnant, whatever. I, I'm telling you what, you imagine the conversations going on around the, around the house about this girl. And Joseph goes off by himself, and he thinks it through, and he prays it through, and he decides to put her away. He decides that they'll terminate the relationship but not humiliate her publicly. And it says, as he thought on these things, that he fell asleep. One translation says that he actually kind of drifted off in sleep thinking on these things. And in his sleep is when God sends an angel to meet him in the dream to speak to him and say, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for what's conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. It's not from man. What is conceived in her is from God. And I can only imagine his heart, what that must have felt like. Do I trust this? Is this one of those kind of dreams, or is this really God speaking to me about this? I'm having a hard time believing Mary, but you're asking me to believe you. And in that moment, Joseph took a step of trust as the angel finished by saying, she will bear the child, but you will name the child. So you will have a responsibility in this birthing process besides the Lamas classes and everything else that's going to take place. You see this morning, it's the quiet decisions we make when our dreams are broken that can cripple our futures. It's the quiet decisions to not trust. We'll get married, but I'll not trust a woman. 
I'll, I'll go for this, and I'll, I'll, I will go and take this opportunity, but I'm not really going to give it 100% because I'm really not going to be there that long anyway. Whatever that translates for you, Joseph made room by daring to trust God in very difficult and hard-to-believe situations. You see, when it was said and done, Joseph not only didn't break the engagement, but we'd only find Joseph saying, okay, I'll take care of this poor girl that God is using now, that I don't know what all this means entirely. We find that that begins to unfold, but we also find him being fully invested in making room. We find him invested in the fact that here he is. He has his trade. He's ready to set up life and shop, but God warns him in a dream, Herod's going to try to kill the baby, and he takes Mary, and he takes Jesus, and he takes his skills, the business he had set up, the clientele he had built. He has to leave it all behind and start all over in Egypt as a man. That's manhood work. He takes her. He protects her life. He moves her out of harm's way and finds a nice place for them to settle down. He wasn't driving a fancy car. He just had a donkey to give her a ride on, but he gave her everything he had, and his began with his faith. His faith made room for Jesus. In Luke, it says, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angel had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us not go to Bethlehem and let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph. And the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the sayings which was told to them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. You see, the shepherds, it was just an ordinary night for them. This is something they did every night. In the commentary that I've been studying said that actually the men were out there at this time because it was uh, breeding, or not breeding time, but the baby, the mamas were having their babies. And so the adults would actually go out during this time and make sure that that birthing process was um, okay and that the sheep were okay or the lambs were okay. And so we have these men out there on an ordinary night watching their flocks like they did every night. But suddenly, their ordinary became extraordinary. I don't know if you can imagine this, but if you're just out in the nighttime, it's dark. It's not like our cities where there's lights and lampposts and, and phones with flashlights on them. But it was dark, but all of a sudden an angel appeared. 
And it said that they were afraid of this angel. The angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy. For unto you tonight is born a Savior. Now this is something that they've been waiting for for generations. They've been waiting for this Savior to be born. They didn't know how he was going to come. They just heard it over and over that we're waiting for this Savior. The Christ, this Messiah was here. That was the message of the angel that night. Although they were afraid of the appearance of the angel, they did not let fear hinder. They were experiencing the greatest moment in history. The word says that they went right away with haste. They hurried with no delay. And they found Jesus, as the angel had told them, in a stable, wrapped in clothes with Mary and Joseph. I can only imagine what the shepherds thought that night. And this is what's so amazing. Another commentary says that the, the animals that they were taking care of were actually ones that were used for temple worship. So listen to me, if you can grasp this. So here these shepherds were part of taking care of the flocks that were used for the sacrifices. And here in a stable, they were witnessing for the first time the ultimate sacrifice. Can you grasp that? This is so amazing what happened. This isn't just a story that we say every December. This was our Savior coming to save us. And here these shepherds were part of this amazing night. This is a night that wouldn't only change their life, but it changed ours. And this is what is so amazing. They left that night. They left that manger setting. They left Jesus. And they went and told everybody. Everybody they ran across. They would say, you would not believe what happened tonight. The Savior, the promised one, the Messiah has come. We saw him with our own flesh and eyes. And it says they told everybody. And everybody was in awe and wonder of this. These shepherds weren't chosen to experience the birth of Christ because of their status in life. They were shepherds. They were the lowliest. This was the lowliest job you could have at this time period. They weren't chosen because of their status. They weren't chosen because of their huge influence. They weren't chosen because they had hidden talent. But they were chosen because they would believe and they would act on it. You see, that angel said, listen, this is happening. The Savior of the world is being born. Do you believe it? I don't know about you, but there would have been a wrestling moment there. Yeah, the angel kind of freaked me out a little bit. But do I believe what they're saying? Do I believe what this angel is saying to me? And then to actually put feet to that faith and go find them? That's why they were chosen. So how do we prepare him room? Believe in the message. Believe in the message. Church, a Savior was born for you. He was born as a baby in a manger. He lived a sinless life. He lived a perfect life. And he died on a cross so that we can be saved. Do you believe the message?
If you believe it, act on it. Act on it quickly. Don't delay. These shepherds did not delay, it says. They went with haste to find this baby. And then the third thing, share your experience with everyone you come in contact with. It's so easy to share this time of year because you can say Merry Christmas. There's lots of ways to share. People are more open this time of year than any time. This and Easter, we, we have some dates on the calendar. But people are hungry to hear their Savior is here. Their Savior is here. Let God take your ordinary and make it extraordinary. Let's give it up for the kids this morning, too. They're being so great. Well, this morning, I want to share a little bit from Matthew chapter 2. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. We're going to talk about the wise men, or the magi, as they may be called. So I'll read you the text, and I'm sure you've probably read this before, and it varies a little bit from some of the other uh, writers. But it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, and they said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and it stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now, I don't know if you've noticed through... Uh, these different characters that we ascribe to the Christmas story. But what I find interesting is, um, A, all of these things are unexpected news, but also with each one of these characters, there's a level of protection that is going on. The Holy Spirit, uh, through an angel, speaks to Mary, and she has to protect this child and protect the promise that is going on. Joseph accepts the news, and then he decides to protect the child by going to Egypt. The shepherd's job was to protect the flocks at night and to protect these newborn uh, lambs that are being birthed out in the field. And, And yet even here, these wise men, we see 
that there's going to be an attempt on Jesus' life by the king, and they choose to protect him as well. And part of the message of this preparing him room is this. What, what God's plans are in you, you have to determine to protect them. In the New Testament, there's a parable of seeds being sown, and it says that some of these seeds, that the birds come and take them before they're able to take root. And I think that sometimes if we're not ready to prepare him room, God is ready to do something incredible, to do something in us and through us. And if we aren't prepared, someone will come and snatch that away if we don't protect the news, the good news of what God wants to do in us. I also find this amazing that, uh, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but these are not Jewish men that are coming. How did they hear this prophecy? These are Gentiles. At, 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 most speculators say that they're Asian. The gospel hasn't made it that far yet. Where did these guys hear the prophecy of a king that was going to be born, and specifically the king of the Jews, and why would they care? It's not their king, but somehow... They were prompted. Something in their heart made them want to go see this event. I think another way that they prepared is this. According to the scriptures, this was a two-year journey. Think about that for just a minute. They didn't know how long it was going to take. They just saw that a star was rising to mark where this new king was going to be born. And so they said, let's go see this incredible thing. They gear up, they get their travel equipment, they get all that stuff, but they don't know how long it's going to take. I mean, think about it. If I said, hey, I'm going to send you out for a journey to find something. Do you know how long it's going to take? You might estimate, and we've got all the technology now, but they just start following and following the star. Now, this is going to be really simple. How do they travel during the day? Pull out their phones and use GPS, Waze, <laughs> Google Maps. Or during the day, they don't. They've got two choices. They keep going the direction that they were going, or they hang out and wait for it to get dark. And how many of you would know that at this time of the world, that dark time is not the time you want to travel? That's when thieves, robbers, bad things happen, just like now, most Most crime is committed in the dark hours. And yet here these guys are, and they're following this, this, I don't know what the star looked like, and we've got it represented over here in all the Christmas pictures. It's like this starburst effect, and but somehow this star was different than the other stars. And you think about it, as they're following probably each new town, it seems like it's hovering over it, and it's like, okay, this is this is a place. And then, well, the star is still going. Okay, we, we keep going. My question for you this morning is this. Are you ready for this journey? Are you ready for the journey that Christ wants to take you on? I think all too often we start a journey at salvation. We start it by, quote, giving our life to Jesus Christ. My question is, what if it takes longer than you think? What if he doesn't come back in the time you think he's going to come back? Talk to some of the gray-haired seasoned saints, and I can guarantee you most of them thought he would have come back by now. This is a journey that may last a good long time, and it's a journey worth taking. 
And I think that is part of that preparedness. I'm not going to stop anywhere along the way. I'm not going to get distressed at having to keep seeking and seeking. I'm not going to get waylaid someplace. I'm not going to get distracted. I'm going to keep following because my goal is not a trip. My goal is to find the one that I'm searching for. So they come to this king, and I think this is so interesting. They meet the king of the Jews, Herod. But isn't it amazing that they knew he wasn't the king they were supposed to talk to? And I think it's also interesting that Herod wasn't looking for the king. You read the scripture, and it's funny that these Gentiles, these Asian men, knew that there was this prophecy, and, and then when Herod hears it, he's troubled. What? You said you're looking for the king of the Jews, but you're talking to him. We're not looking for you. We're looking for one that the prophecy describes somebody from Bethlehem, somebody that's going to come and be a ruler, a different kind of ruler. And notice what it says that ties into exactly what Melissa said. He's going to be a shepherd that will lead my people, shepherd my people, Israel. You see, Herod wasn't shepherding his people, Israel. They lived in fear of Herod. So then he calls this secret meeting. We've got to figure this out. I'm not competing with some other king. This is bad PR for me. This may be the end of my reign. I've got my kids set up to rule in this. But if there's a new king, we've got to figure this thing out. And he gives this whole slant to it. And, and my part of this, no matter what the slant of, of what he's saying is this, is that when you're on this journey with Jesus, don't let politics and personal agenda take you off track. In today's economy, in today's climate, don't let politics and personal agenda agenda take you off the path of following Jesus Christ. Now, for some of you, you just got slapped in the face because there's an interweaving of politics. Jesus is who we're following. Not your personal agenda, whether it's Democrats, Republicans, Independents, or whoever, or whatever, all that stuff, all that's by the wayside. When the government is gone, there will still be a king. There will still be someone to follow. But there's way too many people that their personal agenda and their politics get in the way of not only following Christ, but even more so, leading other people to Christ. Now, here's my question. Because of that personal agenda... Why didn't Herod just follow the wise men to find Jesus? Because he wasn't interested in finding Jesus. He was interested in his own personal future. And I believe that there are people and pastors and preachers that have gone before us that will lead the way. But if we're not careful, our personal agenda... And our politics will short-circuit our opportunity to follow someone else to find Jesus. You are the wise men of this age. You are the ones following Jesus, setting the tone for other people to find Jesus, if you'll follow to find Jesus. Now, after they'd heard the king, this is verse uh, 9. They continue to follow this star. It's amazing. It just keeps going before them. And then it does this weird thing. And I was telling Melissa this. This is so incredible. This, you know, 
I've navigated at night. I, I've done land, land navigation classes and all these different things. And it's like, and, and if you're far enough away, a star can look like it's staying on something until you get closer. <laughs> until you get closer. You know, it, it's the track, trick of our eye. Just like, you know, you can look up in the sky and you see a plane and you go, look, it's no bigger than this. But somehow, this star, it says it came and it stood or it stopped or it stood still over this dwelling place. It, it looked like it wasn't moving on. And I don't know how the uh, astrological world works. I just know that what they felt is what we should feel when we find what we're looking for. Look at what the scripture says. When they saw the star and they saw that it came and stood over where the young child was, what did they do? They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Now, just listen. It wasn't a, thank God, the journey is finally over. I can get off this camel. That's not what they're rejoicing about. It's not a, finally, I'll be able to get back to my life. This is the longest year, and I didn't expect it was going to take this long. Did you guys think it was going to take this long? Two years? I mean, come on. That's not what they're rejoicing about. You know what they're rejoicing about? We have found what we've been looking for. How about you this morning? Have you prepared in your heart that at every twist and turn, see, sometimes we stop searching out Jesus. We think we found him. We think, hey, we've got that settled. Oh, yeah, I found him back at an altar. I found him at a youth camp. I found him at a, at a revival. I found him at a, did he stay there? Or has he been leading you on again? And I think there are ways uh, uh, and paths along the way that he's saying, hey, are you still following me? And when you find me, what's your response? Oh, thank God, now I can get back to my life? Or is it exceedingly great joy? Now, this is just me personally. The moment I met Jesus, I mean, really met him, not just sat in church, strong conviction. <laughs> An altar time, incredible men of God praying with me, and exceedingly great joy that my sin was gone that my burden and my past were exactly that now in my past but you want to know what's awesome my travel has continued on where he's led me to each new stage of life and faith and maturity and understanding, I still can barely comprehend all that God is doing. And this is an incredible journey. It's exciting, and I never know where it's going to lead next. But the reality is all too many of us have not prepared the room to keep seeking Him. You only sought Him. It's in the past. You've got to prepare to keep going after Him. When the difficulties come, when you run into imposters, when your politics and the agendas of this world try to stop you, you have to prepare to keep going on or somebody will stop you from meeting who you really need to meet. Not only that, I love this last part. Look at this. They find him and they walk up to him and they say, dude, you are one tough guy to track down. They didn't walk up and say, it's a kid. 
I thought we were going to have a meeting with the king. It's a, it's a kid. What's up with that? Nope. When they saw him, they did something. They fell down and worshipped him. Now, how unusual is These are grown men. Astrologers, star seekers, wise men, men. I mean, this is very uncommon in these cultures that old men don't bow down to young men. Just like Melissa is saying, the teenagers are the ones that were out usually at night because the old men were old and they were in their house sleeping where it's nice and warm. Send the teenagers out there to watch the, sleep, the sheep at night. They're up anyway, listening to iTunes. I mean, let them go out there and watch the sheep. But all of a sudden, these men that had been on a two-year journey not only fell down and bowed themselves down, that's what it means, they, they put their faces on the ground and worshipped him. And then they did the next step. Look at this. They opened their treasures up to him. And this is where we're going to end it this morning. Not only to prepare for the journey that he's got you on. Not only to prepare to move past the politics and the personal agendas. But are you prepared to worship him and bring him your gifts? You see, he has gifted every one of us. Not with gold and frankincense and myrrh. The first Corinthians chapter 12 says he has given gifts to the church. And you have been gifted. You've given, given talent, some of them natural and some of them God-given. But those gifts were for him. That you come and you bring them to him. Offer them to him. And they're personal. I mean, think about this. I, I, I still don't understand all these. These are not kings. I know some of the some of the ancient uh, texts maybe allude to that, but all of them say wise men are astrologers, and yet somehow we morph this into three kings that follow them, and yet they weren't kings. They were star seekers. And so I don't know where they got this big treasure from. But they didn't collect it as a king would from the people. This was their personal treasure. They brought their own treasure chest, and they opened it up to him. And they presented the gifts to him. They didn't say, hey, look at these great gifts we've got. They said, these are for you. We brought these for you. What gift do you have that you can offer King Jesus? What gift is not your gift, but it's actually his gift that you bring to him any given Sunday, any time we're together, every time you meet in, in more than one person, that we can come and minister to each other and bring out the gifts, prepare our gifts. Are you prepared for the gifts to give them to Jesus, to use them for Jesus, to open up your treasure chest for him? That's how we prepare him, room. Crack open that treasure chest and give him what he's provided for you. Crack open the spiritual gifts that he has placed in your life to be used for him. And use that again and again and again.
We find out that they make sure that they don't go back to Herod. They, they too, were warned in a dream. And again, you think about this. They chose to disobey a king and listen to the heart. Herod, Herod wasn't their king, but they got warned in a dream that they shouldn't return to Herod, and they left for their own country some other way. I wonder, with my weird imagination, now, if I just read the text, it, this, this seems almost anticlimactic, but if I was to just read this and go by what I read, here's how this plays out. Okay, we're going to start here, and two years later, we find Jesus, whoo, exceedingly great joy, fall down on our faces, we worship him, we open up our myrrh and frankincense and gold, and we uh, give him our treasure, and then we say, saddle up. A two-year journey (laughs) for a five-minute, I don't know how long they worshiped, but it didn't say they stayed there a long time. They came and saw, and then they even, and now imagine what they talked about on the way back. Because I know what the talk would be on my way there. Are we ever going to get there? Did somebody get lost? How long is this going to take? What do you think it's going to be like when we get there? Now on the way back, imagine what they're thinking. We met the Messiah. We met the King. And it was amazing. How could God do this through a child and... In such humble beginnings, he, we didn't find him in a castle. We didn't, we, we found him in a very humble place with just his mother there. And it's amazing. We don't know how this is going to be. It's going to be incredible. I mean, there's probably so many questions. Now, if you've got questions this morning, you're in good company. <laughs> Nobody has it all figured out. But the preparing him room is to keep following him. Set aside the politics, the personal agenda. Prepare for the journey. And then bring your gifts. And you may say, I don't know what those are. Read through. Ask. Pray. God has gifted everyone. Everybody is gifted. It's the beauty of God's handiwork in us. And find out, how do I bring my gifts? What gifts do I have to bring? That's how you prepare him room. And then each time that we gather, prepare him room. Is today the day I use my gifts in the body? Is today the day I open my treasures for Jesus? Is, is this the, I'm prepared. That's how we do it. How do, I, how do I do this at work? How do I do this at home? How do I, that's how we prepare him room. If you'd stand up with me this morning. this whole theme that we've been talking about this month is uh, counterintuitive. I think we know how to prepare for the holidays. I think we know how to prepare meals. I think we know how to prepare packages, decorate Christmas trees, and put out lawn ornaments, and 
invite family and friends over for snacks or meals or cookies. I think we know how to read our kids the Christmas story if you're so inclined. But through all of this, have you prepared yourself personally room for him to do in you what he wants to do? What if he wants special time with you? What if he wants time set aside? What if he wants you to worship him and not just a season, not just a holiday, not just an idea of peace on earth, goodwill towards men, but the one who brought all of that? And I think that we'll be surprised that there's often things we face that we're not prepared for. That's life. But we can prepare for him. What's he want to do in you this month? What are you prepared for him to do in the year to come? Have you thought about that? Are you prepared for this journey? No matter where it may lead. No matter what you may travel through. So I want to pray for you and with you this morning that wherever he's leading, you'll follow. Even if it's longer than you thought. Even if it's more difficult. Even if it's different than you thought. Will you follow him? Or are you going to get distracted and delayed and distressed along the way?